From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here's your host, Eric Wakeling. Welcome to another episode of the Calvary Life Podcast. Eric Wakeling here, and I am excited to have Craig Hill on the podcast today. How are you doing, Craig? I am doing fantastic, Eric. It's great to be here. Awesome. So Craig is the lead pastor over at Taft Avenue Community Church, and he also has had this life of being a professor of a few different things of biblical languages like Greek, New Testament, interpretation. It's quite a life. It's quite quite a life. That's right. Yeah. So he's taught at both uh, Fuller and Biola. Yes. And that uh, happened. That happened. It did. So people wonder how that happens. Well, yes, especially with how normal you are. But um, (laughs) no offense to the others, but he's also had a podcast uh, that hopefully he'll be reviving soon (laughs) called The Teaching Pastor. That's right podcast. Um, and he's been just around in this like Orange County area and ministry world and church life for a long time. And so, um, I had the pleasure of getting to know you a little bit, um, before this a little bit, I mean, we'd even like just been at some like common events or friends parties and stuff like that. But, but then uh, I walked into a fuller seminary classroom and here's my teacher, Dr. Hill. Yeah, that's right. BI 500, I think is what it was. Interpretive practices. I think it was actually. Yes. And before that, I mean, we have so many common friends. So like we, I think I was on a trip into Israel, yep. um, lip syncing to a Bon Jovi song, I think, and <laughs> that's right. you and you commented, "I think that's my professor for next semester," <laughs> exactly. and that's exactly yeah. So we've you know there is a um, there's a good connection. We have a lot of friends. I think we even saw each other at a Ruka sale. That's right, a Ruka warehouse sale. We did like that. Yeah, we did. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, I think I probably have already been seeing this guy a million times, but now I just know who you are and (laughs) more. But uh, I think you just have this sort of interesting thing of being very pastoral, and I joked about being sort of normal (laughs) or whatever. Totally. Being like a a guy that I Tell my wife that, because she'll just say, you are a total geek. (sighs) Like, and you're just geeking out. And we do. I think we we talk about- We do geek out. You go into geek mode- when, when things you really appreciate and love, and I love the Bible and I love, you know, New Testament backgrounds and languages and stuff like that. And so I'll go full geek mode, but I love a good Ruka sale too. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. But so yeah, you have this whole like pastoral life, but then you also have this academic life, which is interesting. And you have a, a is it PhD? That's is right. It's a PhD. And so this theological degree doing your, your dissertation on the book of Hebrews, yeah. which is so daunting is such a, a book that I feel like a lot of people kind of avoid, yeah. you know, and nothing, nothing will kill a conversation quicker <laughs> than talking about the dissertation on the book of Hebrews, <laughs> inheritance and disinheritance in Hebrews, if anyone is looking, but yeah, they'll, they'll search for that i'm sure the i'm next sure time. i'm yeah. sure everybody's <laughs> pausing the podcast right now but and and it's kind of actually a little bit abnormal for us to have someone on the podcast that's not a calvary member oh, yeah. or a little bit more you know like part of the the calvary church family although you have been i feel really like really connected to this family i feel like calvary has been real formative for me i grew up in oh, yeah. orange county and um you know the first place i ever heard the gospel. I grew up Roman Catholic, and the first place I ever heard the gospel was at a Alter Boys concert. Awesome. And so um, I totally remember 
I mean, look, and I, you did a podcast with Mike Stan. Yeah, first and, e- our first ever episode. Oh my gosh. And um, I, I remember you telling me about that and that he's here. And um, <laughs> and I was just, you know, I actually had, uh, so Jeff, is it Jeff Crandall? He's the drummer for the yep. Altar Boys. So I remember, um, and I'm getting back around to, to Calvary in a second, sure. but his son, Jeff Crandall's son, was in one of my classes at Biola. Uh-huh. And um, I told the story the first time I heard the gospel was at a Christian rock concert. And he said, well, which, which band was it? <laughs> and I said, it was the Altar Boys. And he goes, my dad was the drummer for Altar Boys. Uh-huh. And I said, I said, look, you go back and you tell your dad <laughs> that because of what he did in ministry, there was a 14-year-old kid who heard the gospel caught fire for Jesus, learned as much as he could about the Bible, and now he's got a PhD and he's teaching this class. So you go back and you tell him that. That's cool. And so I just, I, I and I remember in high school coming to the door here and yep. um, after football games, and I just feel like Calvary has had such a great regional presence for the gospel in this community. Mm-hmm. And so I just, and w- then when I heard that you were coming on and that um, you were coming on um, after Dave and after all the you know, all the things that have happened here. Yeah. Um, just so stoked about hmm. what you guys are doing here and that you continue to shine brightly the gospel. It just pumps me up. And it's just, it's great to be part of this. I mean, in such a small way, obviously we're down the street at Taft Avenue Community Church, which is a revitalization. Absolutely. And we're we've talked about that. Super excited about what God's doing and going to do yeah. over there at Taft. And I just love that. I love that the vibe of churches in this area, I feel like everybody's rooting for each other. Like yep. everybody wants every church full in this city, in this region, Santa Ana, Orange, because we feel like there's plenty of people in in these cities that need to hear the gospel. We're not about stealing sheep. Right. We're just rooting for each other. That's right. Three million people in Orange County, we should be able to fill all the churches. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I feel like, I do feel like Calvary has been a, a great part of my story, even though I've not been an attender here or a member here. Right, right. So we are very happy to have you here. And so <laughs> you have this this unique perspective. And today we're going to get into eventually really the topic is to talk about how do we read the Bible? How do we interpret the Bible? How do we know what it means and what it's saying? And, and so for you, you have this unique thing. Like when did you know you wanted to be for both a pastor and an academic? Cause I feel like a lot of people have yeah. to, maybe they have to really hard, hard line choose one or the other. Yeah. Right? That, that was, so I, like I said, I, I heard the gospel 14 years old, um, and just said, look, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. Like you, my life is yours. Yeah. And, um, so I went to Biola Christian education major. I think it's called Christian ministries now. And yep. just went out with the goal and had some, um, some mentors that just said, get as much ministry experience as you possibly can in whatever it is. And so just set out to get as much ministry experience, whether it was youth or children, junior high, high school, college, whatever it was, just get ministry experience. So, yeah. um, did that. And then when I went to seminary, I was a junior high director, junior high pastor up in the Bay Area, and went to seminary and obviously really loved it. I mean, I loved the classroom probably more than I realized that I would love the classroom. Okay. Um, I loved the languages. I loved the theology. I loved the books. Um, I was one of two people in my kind of graduating class in seminary that did a... Um, a master's thesis. Oh, right. You could you could just fill that with units, uh-huh. or you could write this thing. And I was like, I want to write. I want to do something. And so, I did that. Um, and in the process, one of my professors said, "Hey, have you ever thought about going on and doing more work, more mm-hmm. academic work?" Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I was thinking I was gonna, you know, find a, a pastoral, an associate pastor position, a college position, something like that. And um, when he said, "Hey, have you ever thought about that?" I said, "I hadn't, but 
I am now. Like, mm. this is really interesting. And so over that summer, I was working up at Hume Lake um, after I graduated. Me, Kelly and I were working up there in the junior high camp. And I got a call from Biola University saying, hey, would you teach um, a couple sections of our Christian Thought 2 class? And um, and I was like, uh, I don't even know if I'm qualified to do that, but yes, I will. <laughs> and so it just started me down a, a process of... Whenever they asked, would you teach this class, if it was a new class or another, I just said, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And then and you I, dig in. And then I dug in, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but let's <laughs> let's do it. And so after teaching Theology 1, Theology 2, Foundations of Christian Thought, New Testament, and then doing some electives along the way, it was like God had really gifted me for the classroom, for research, for um, some writing projects, and... That was just kind of like, that was the open door. Um, yeah. I don't know if it ever, I always, I when I was a pastor at, over at Voyagers um, in Irvine, we had a panel and somebody said, when did you know you were called to ministry? And I, and I thought about it and I said, you know, I don't know if I ever felt called to ministry per se. I've always felt called to the Bible. Oh, okay. And so I've always felt like I've had a calling to the Bible and that that manifests in, in the church and in the academic realm. But and in different ways, in some different ways that way. But yeah. that is what I feel like has been a particular calling on my life. Now, most recently, um, when I was doing church revitalization consulting work, yeah, um, I ran into a couple churches, and um, where I'm at right now, Taft Avenue Community Church, um, just felt like God was saying, "Look, Craig, I don't need you as a consultant. I need you as a pastor." Oh, wow! And um, and so I just I kind of leaned right into that, and um, God's been really good about that. But That's cool. but it is and it, it is interesting when you think about your initial call, like what is it to? And yes. I have as I've reflected, God has really called me to the Bible, and that there's ministry to be done in both those places. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And we are to be people of the book, so yeah. you know you're helping shepherd people to be that at, at Taft, but also in the classroom, really. Yeah. I, and that's what I think I've appreciated about you in the classroom, as well as um, you know, as well as just getting to know you. But to see how you're able to like lead a classroom that is not just only about just content dump, information mm -hmm. dump, but you're really trying to you know, really care for and help. And I was in a unique situation in that class as this person that was maybe a little more experienced in ministry and just right. kind of like, it was also so cool to watch some of these younger folks that are, that are learning some of this stuff for the first time and just seeing the way that you shepherd them as these new, you know, new pastors. Yeah. And, and it can be, I think one of the things that seminary helps us to do, um, whether it's Talbot or whether it's Fuller, yeah. um, there are various minefields and various traditions and it helps us to navigate that a little bit. And sometimes people don't entirely understand what they're navigating in their own tradition or in other traditions, or even the kind of broadly set table that you might come across. Like, what do I do with the Methodist church down the street or the Lutheran church? Right. And so there is a sense in which I want people to, to know their own story, but to also have some space to encounter some other people that might not think exactly like they yeah, do, yeah. But, are, but love Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. So speaking of minefields, there's lots of minefields and we're trying to interpret the Bible, no. right? No. <laughs> no, no, none at all. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I'm excited for this just to really talk through um, for you know everyone listening of just how can we read the Bible? How can we know what it means when we read it? And... So just to kind of get us into that place, what do you think are some of the 
maybe bigger mistakes that people make hmm. when they're reading the scriptures and trying to, you know, understand what it means? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. I, I probably would reword it in, in the sense that I don't ever want to make someone think that I don't ever want to discourage someone from reading their Bible. So the idea of like, what mistakes do we make? I don't right. know if we you th- we think about that. I think sometimes we read the Bible um, uncritically, right? Like just in a kind of a default mode. We're not. Um, what I would really encourage people to do is just read it reflectively. Yes. Like, like I think a great question that, as an initial question, is just how have I used my Bible? Hmm. You know, what have I what when I open it up? What am I doing? Like. Um, and I think for me, when I when I first became a Christian, my approach to the Bible was kind of like a, um, a chapter a day keeps the devil away kind of a thing. And it was all <laughs> devotional. I was like, I was reading it to hear God's voice and to hear what God was and for guidance for myself. Yep. And and I think that as I as I think about that, that's not a that's not a bad way to no, read the you Bible. You needed to gain familiarity. You Absolutely. were just like it was all so new to you. You're just kind of like soaking yeah. it up, right? And it was this place where I felt like I was me- it was the ground on which I was meeting. Jesus. It was Absolutely. the ground on which I was interacting with the Holy Spirit. Like, yep. so these, in that way, it is a significant way to read the Bible. But there's also there's also a sense in which, look, the Bible is also can be read as um, for backgrounds, like to study, or maybe you pick up your Bible and you like want to study what does the Bible say about a certain topic. Like, yeah. that's different than devotional reading. I'm yep. not. As much as I don't want to divorce the idea of God being in the text and 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 encountering the Holy Spirit, I'm I have a specific thing I'm trying to do, or maybe I'm more systematically working through doctrines. Yeah, these are all different ways that we approach the text of Scripture. None is better or worse. I mean, yeah. some can be. I suppose it's it's worse if you use one for or the wrong category. Like if <laughs> right. I'm writing a systematic theology textbook and I'm reading devotionally, sure, 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 simply devotionally, that's probably not going to be a good systematic theology book. Or if I'm trying to encourage a devotional approach to God and like hit the heart, a, a systematic theology text isn't going to do it necessarily. Right, right, right. So there are, I think, there's different times and seasons for us. Yep. And how God's word plays into those seasons. Yeah. What about when we read the the scripture and we kind of come into it with this, like, I want to find out in the mm-hmm. Bible how it's going to make, make it okay that I'm doing X, <laughs> you know, or yeah. that kind of a thing is maybe, well, you know. Well, I, that, <laughs> I laugh only because I don't, you know, we've, we've never experienced that for ourselves, no, right? No, never. No, but I, there is, a, when we do come to the text, we always come to it in, from a position of humility. Yeah. I think that's a, yep. it's always one of the most significant things we do. We come to understand the text, not to stand over the text. Yeah. And so we always come asking God to form us, yes. not for us to form the text. Yes. Um, and so, being yeah. formed means we are different than we were before we started in some way. We've been formed. Yeah. We've been changed in some way. If you think of like being molded, right. we're clay that's being molded at... We have to be open, I think, right, to say, okay, I'm not just going to read this, and I will be the same afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the, one of the big great, greatest questions we ask is, you know, God, what what's something new that I can learn in this text, mm-hmm. or um, what is what's something new that I can see in this text? Mm-hmm. And so I think that the like that just that idea of making observations from the text and hearing in a community other people making observations from the text they will help us to see things that we haven't seen before. And I think that's a really significant part 
of reading, not only alone, but in a community, seeing things that we haven't seen before, maybe sometimes God, asking God, I've read this this passage a hundred times. Help me to see it in a new way. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's get into what I think is maybe a little bit of like what I think is like just a good sort of core way of thinking about this that I learned from you in your interpretive practices class. And it's this thing. Okay, so you have the Bible we, that we, we when we say the text, we're talking about the words of the Bible that right. you're holding, you right. know, and reading. The so words on the page. The words on the page. That's right. the text. So. Now, you had this this way of kind of under like approaching that text, whether it's in front of, behind, mm, you okay. know, or yeah. just the text itself. Can you kind of just walk us through? You start with the text itself. Yeah, I think, you know, what we what you have is you you have these these words. You have the words on the page. Yep. And um usually in English translation, right? Right. Um and the text itself is is complex. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of observations you can make just within that text. So if you learn original languages, you might have a Greek word or a Hebrew word or the way things are worded. Um, and you you might look at, but that's, that's all in the text. And so we use our original language tools and um, lexicons and things like that. Yep. There's also other things in the text, like what's the genre that I'm reading? Is this a letter? Is this a, a historical narrative? Is this a biography? What are these things? And and based on that, there are certain observations that you can make about the text. So yep. there's all kinds of things that are just grounded in the text itself. But in order to understand the text and understand what the author is doing by the author's intended meaning in the text... There's also this world that's behind the text. And so um, one of the things that we did in there is we talked about, okay, there's Jewish backgrounds. This is written into a world. And yes. so when we talk about what's behind the text, we're talking about the world that is, that's kind of encompassing the text, that's behind these words, that is, is kind of undergirding it. So who was, who was the, you know, the Roman prefect at the time that Jesus died as Pontius Pilate? That says that in the text, but we would go behind the text to learn more about Pontius Pilate. So some Greco-Roman backgrounds or things like that. Um, but there's also, you know, also behind the text, there's, there's the social world. Like it says Jesus was sitting down or reclining at a meal. And you're like, well, yeah. what is what does it mean that he reclines at a meal? So you could do a bunch of work on the sociological significance of of table fellowship and meal yeah. settings. That's not in the text itself. Yep. That's what we would call coming on behind the text. It's right. The, the, it doesn't say background. triclinium in the text, no. but we study what that means. <laughs> That's right. I, I wanted to use a big word there, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So, but ever that's been to our Passover Seder or maybe to some Sunday mornings has heard, you know, yeah. Right. Things like that, yeah. where we dig into that to understand that even that yeah. Passover So meal. like something like foot washing, right. Doesn't make right. sense unless you understand the world behind and that these, your feet are not, you're not sitting at a table like we're sitting at right now yes. in a chair, you're reclining. So your feet are hanging off the edge. And so, so all of that, like behind the text stuff is great. If you have a like if you have a good study Bible or like a Bible backgrounds commentary, you're doing work, you're mm -hmm. reading work that is illuminating what's going on behind the text. And yep. so there's that's a rich, rich world um, to illumine the text itself. Yes. But and I think a lot of times when we are reading our Bibles and the, even the tradition that I've grown up in, like that's great Bible study, the text itself, learn the languages, learn behind the text. But sometimes we forget that we come to a text and there's a whole world that we might call in front of the text so that this text comes into, say, the first century. But there are centuries of interpretation and practice that have preceded us as we've come to the text. It's all in front of the text. It's, yeah. not, it's not the world behind it. It's the world 
that the text has kind of created and, and that has come in front of it. Or even the idea that like my own social location, that I'm, uh, you know, 48 years old, white male in Southern California. Yeah predisposes me to see certain things in the text. Like my own social location helps me or hurts me in seeing things in the text. And so this idea of paying attention to myself as the reader, paying attention to a history of interpretation that I've come to this passage with, that's the world in front of the text. And so we have these kind of three horizons that we're looking at, essentially, like the world of the, the, the text itself, yes. so all the languages, the world behind the text, and then the world that we've inherited in front of the text. Right, right. I think I, I really want everyone to just like <laughs> soak that in for a second, because I think it's really helpful for you to think about, to like start. I think it's it's good to start. You start with the text and you think about, okay, so... Let's let's just like pause before I just sit down and read, right? Like, mm-hmm. give me a second. What am I reading? What book am I reading? What is its genre? That right. kind of a thing, right? I right. think that can be really helpful. Like, you start there at that moment, and then, yeah, like even even for um, things like understanding what some of these words are, yeah. they can. I mean, people can use a, a good study Bible, right? Oh, totally. Like you can buy some basic commentaries or even use some free online resources. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think one of the things I I never want anybody to feel is like, hey, you've got to go to seminary if you really want to read the Bible. Right. I I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's true. I do think that training is necessary for, you know, people in your position, particularly you're, you're leading, you're, you're teaching. If you're in pastoral ministry, training is necessary. There is, there's important things, but I never want to like make it sound like, look, you can't read the Bible. Like if you do want to do some more reading, getting multiple translations and just putting them side by side, yeah. like you can really get to some of the issues that are that you might only get to if you know Greek or Hebrew, just by lining up some translations side by side. You're like, well, mm-hmm. this translation says this, and this one says this, and all five of these can't agree on what to translate. This must be a pretty sexy word. Like right, right. this is a pretty significant thing. Right. And I, I didn't take a, uh, any Greek or any Hebrew, but I can tell by these translations that there's an issue in yeah. this text. And I think that that's something that as you're reading, you're going to experience like, hey, what does it mean that he reclined at the table? Like that that kind of tension when we come to these sorts of things in a text and we feel a little tension or we have a question, yep. that kind of clues us in, oh, I should maybe I could pay attention now and branch out a little bit more into this behind the text world and this in front of the text world. Yes. But when we read t- when we read the text of the of scriptures, yeah, this when we feel attention, we might be experiencing, hey, there's a world behind this, a world in front of this that I might want to explore a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Like I think this whole thing of looking at a few different translations is is actually so helpful yes. because it's so often where I feel like what I'll do is I'll I'll have, you know, maybe some like deep you know, Greek online resources, or I'm looking into a lexicon or some sort right. of dictionary, and and I'm looking at what the definition is of this Greek word, and it's basically just what the three different translations <laughs> were, is what the definition is. All the different glosses, yeah. <laughs> somebody chose this one, somebody chose this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you're just kind of like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah. You know, you can click or you can open up BibleGateway.com right. and select a few different, you know, it's maybe helpful to know oh, yeah. maybe a handful that would be good ones to use. And there's some great there's some great free online resources like you said biblegateway.com is another one step bible is another one but there's some great places online for free that you can put parallel four or five different translations and you can do that now 
if you really want to geek out, like like me, I love Accordance Bible software. Yes. I use Accordance. I know Logos is good. Um, BibleWorks was another one, but they went out of business. Yep. But a lot of people still use that. Accordance, I think, is great. And um, you know, I so I when I I have a study window that I have. I've got I've got Greek and Hebrew on one on in one uh, column, and then I've got ESV. I've got NIV, New Revised Standards, uh, yep. Common English Bible. I've got the Message up there. I'm I mean, looking at all. Come on, you don't use New American Standard. New like American Standard. I forgot to include <laughs> in that list. <laughs> No, I do. <laughs> no, I know. It's good. But it's like most people, if you're looking at ESV, might not look at NASB also or yeah. something like that. So I get that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I love that. And I love that there's some of these these free resources. But I've always been a little bit I, as a person that owns has owned Logos for a long time right. and then has some free stuff mm-hmm. that I was like always jealous of your accordance because I do think it looks it feels like the most user friendly w- with the depth. Yeah, it's, you know? it is. It is very user friendly. And I was attracted to accordance because I'm a Mac user and I love right. Mac and accordance kind of has the interface that is most comfortable for Mac users. Oh, I think that, Logos is a little bit more Windows. If oh, you, that's probably why if I you feel like that Windows. way. Yeah. OK. But I also will say this, that. When I was doing my PhD work um, and I was pastoring at Voyagers, there was a small group that said, hey, Craig, what do you need? Hmm. What, how can we help? And I said, well, I'll tell you what would really help is I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to be able to search Josephus and Philo and the Targums and <laughs> the Mishnah. And what would be really helpful is if you just helped me, you bought these modules for me in my accordance. And so I just hmm. loaded up. I mean, these guys were so generous, wow. but it saved me hundreds of hours of work. Maybe in indexing thousand dollars too or something yeah it was yeah it was it was basically like a couple grand yeah yeah but this group amazing. this this small group this one small group if you're in a small group and you're listening to this and you're like how can i help Eric? <laughs> this these are great ways i mean and I'm, I'm yeah yeah no, I know. this is these are great ways that you can yeah. support young pastors and i'm not even just talking about eric yeah, like not a, me i got my you, stuff but you, he's got his guys. stuff but if there yeah. are people on staff to say hey look we can spend like 300 $350 and get you started on mm-hmm. Accordance or Logos, and it'll save you time. You'll learn to use it. This is an investment in ministry. And I tell my students this all the time, like, see if there are people in your church who believe in what you're doing, because this is one of the best ways that you'll save time and deepen the teaching right. at your church if right. you can invest in this and help your pastor invest in this. Yeah, and it's even and for you out there, if you w- would want to get those things, we do. We highly recommend it if you are wanting to dig deeper. And it's hard because I've got, you know, a couple bookshelves full of books that you know weigh however <laughs> many pounds. That's right. And it's hard to take those things with me everywhere I go. Right. But you can have all that stuff on a laptop or even uh, on your phone nowadays. So it's pretty incredible. So there's okay. So we're we're in in the text is some of that with the the words. I just want to kind of go to each one and go a little bit deeper. Sure. So when we think about behind the text, I love I love historical context. I mean, I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's kind of the thing that has always like really grabbed me. It's part of why I love going to Israel or to Turkey or to Greece. Again, it's been so great to just actually sort of live the the historical background. That's right. And, and so that's part of why that's such a huge value here at Calvary. And I know it's a, a value for you as you help GTI, the, the company that we use, but do some of their signature trips and things that's like right. that. Um, but, uh, you know, th- when we think about digging into this historical background stuff, first of all, this is what I felt like sort of as I was growing up, I thought this was behind the text was it like mm. this is what it means to understand 
the Bible or to interpret the Bible. I think I've learned that there's more to it than sure. that. Right. But what, what, what do you think of like, why, why do we, I, mean, I think a lot of people sort of, why do we gravitate to that so much, you know, or why is it so helpful? Yeah. Well, when you think about your Bible, it, it's written on another continent. Yes. And so you're crossing geographical boundaries. You're crossing time. Like this is 2000 years old at the earliest. Right. Um, you are crossing cultural boundaries. You're crossing linguistic boundaries. And I think the idea of any time that we can find a tool that, that, that bridges into that world, it immediately helps us to understand the text. Yes. And so I think we've also seen that there are times where people um, misuse a text or that they, um, you know, they take some liberties with the text. Maybe social location becomes too important in right. their interpretation. Absolutely. And okay. you see that someone's social location kind of overcomes a text and you're like, well, is that really what this says? And how mm -hmm. can I figure out what this says? And so that's when, okay, maybe I can start looking at some some Greco-Roman backgrounds and just buying a book, a, a, yes. a, a backgrounds book, a Jewish yeah. backgrounds, um, Roman backgrounds. You know, these are all the sociological backgrounds. It immediately bridges us into this. So when we talk about what does a meal setting look like yeah. in first century Judaism or first century Greco-Roman, you know, when Paul goes into Philippi, you know, what does he do in Lydia's house? What, is a, what does a dining room look like? Like, how does right, that look like? Right. So all of these things, I think, have an immediate effect on how we read the text. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there's been a lot of work done on that. And you and I probably come from a tradition, and Calvary's part of a tradition that has very much valued that bridging into the world behind the text. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, because I think it's so helpful and I think it's all, it's all helpful. Yes. But I have, I remember just my mind being blown away going actually to Turkey. Israel has always, uh, has blown my mind and it's kind of almost been more of like an emotional yeah. uh, connection, you know, yeah. to, yeah. to the text from Israel. But like, man, going and understanding Greco-Roman culture mm -hmm. when I was in Turkey, I think was something for some reason that was where some sort of scales were lifted huh. for me. Yeah. And thinking about the the early church and thinking about how they had to live this Acts 2 sort of communal thing, right? right. That I think, you know, expanded beyond just Acts 2. But um, that was like, because so much of that was because of the culture that they were living this new thing out yeah. within and this Roman empire of just completely consuming every aspect of your life from your work to how you go to the doctor all mm. had to be, you know, if you want to be a part of a trade guild, you had to make a sacrifice to a God. You yeah. know, if you wanted to go to the doctor, you had to go to the Asclepion and right. sacrifice to Asclepius, this God of healing. But that's actually where just the, That's where all the good really good doctor were. was. <laughs> right. and, and so if you're not willing to make that sort of, right. uh, you know, compromise, then, you know, you guys have to really care for one another. Yeah. And so that... That's like color commentary. It you is. Know? It is. And I the, I led a trip uh, to Turkey and Greece last year, and I'll do another one this year. And, um, you know, I was on that trip. For me, what was um, the site that really did it is um, in the city of Berga or Pergamum. Uh -huh. um, Pergamum is this awesome site because you have all of it. There's this huge hill and there's all these temples. And of course, what Rome does is whenever they show up in a city, they just build the biggest temple they possibly can on top of everybody else. <laughs> right. Because exactly. that's what Romans do. <laughs> like, they're just such jerks. Yes, you know? yes. And you, but you don't necessarily get that feel unless you go there and you see like 
Oh, they had to move these multi-ton stones just to show how much better they were than anybody else. Yeah. And they built this huge thing. And then you you kind of have this this image, this vision of like all these temples and all these people. And then you have a festival and they have to go down off this hill and down into the city. Right. And it's just, it, it all comes to life. It's, yes. it's huge. I'll tell you one place where, you know, my mind just, my head nearly flew off my body <laughs> um, was in was in Israel. We come out of Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem, in yes. the, in the, and and I don't know if they knew that I was going to like geek out so hardcore, and they just didn't tell me because they wanted to surprise me. So we come out, and I'm like, um, "Well, where are we at?" And they said, "We're at the Pool of Siloam." And I went, "What? <laughs> this is and it, and for some reason it just clicked in like this is like this is like a quarter mile away." From Jerusalem, from the southern steps of the temple. The you mean? southern, yeah, the southern yeah, yeah, steps yeah. of the temple. Yeah, it's this huge climb, and I'm like, so yeah. when Jesus heals this guy in in John chapter nine, yeah, he sends him way down here. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just like, I'm, I like, I'm looking around, and I'm like a kid in a candy shop. But it just was this place of like, it made that story. It just painted that story. Right. So I think that that's one of the reasons why these trips, like GTI and, yep. and an Israel trip or a Turkey Greece trip just gives you the backdrop. You think about like, you know, a flannel graph and you have all these pieces that move, but the actual backdrop of the whole thing. Right. This is the backdrop of everything. Yeah. And that's where exactly. I feel like it's just fantastic. And and I think what I didn't realize when I was in Turkey <laughs> was, oh, there's some great books that actually tell you all this stuff. <laughs> Because <laughs> not all of us can go, you know, to Turkey. Right, and so right. there's some great books that, that explain some of these things. Maybe not, you can't get that feeling of being in the Pool of Siloam and looking up the hill towards the Temple Mount and realizing, oh, wow. But right, right. but you can study some of this. Uh, what are a couple of these maybe books uh, that you like best for some of these sorts of resources? Yeah, there's, so if you're, if you're thinking about like, the Greco-Roman world. You you're, right. you really like the book of Acts. You like the epistles of Paul. Yep. And you really want to look at kind of this world that he's traveling into. I think um, Moyer Hubbard over at Talbot has written a great kind of um, su- um, uh, a survey of the Greco-Roman world called Christianity in the Greco-Roman world. I think yes, it's, it's probably one, one of the most ex- um, accessible texts in that yep. way. Yep. Um, uh, there's another one, um, Barrett's new, the world, the New Testament background or a New Testament world. Um, that's another good one. I think if you're and looking Bailey too, right? Is that what you're going to say? Okay. Kenneth, yeah, because and Bailey is a little bit more of the Jewish backgrounds or that's the true. Middle Eastern backgrounds, yep. um, and a little bit more aimed at um, Palestine and first century Palestine. Okay. Um, Kenneth Bailey has done a lot of good work, not only on Paul but on Jesus as well. Yeah. And um, and also just the idea of. Well, Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is Middle Eastern. Right. Like, what do we do with Middle Eastern sensibilities, um, especially sociology? Like that. That's been um, that's significant. Bailey did a lot of good work on um, the parable of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. which was probably um, one of the precursors to some of the explosion of of work on the on this kind of secondary look at the parable um, okay. by like Henry Nowen oh, yeah. and by Tim Keller. Yep. Um, and uh, but Bailey really was on the forefront of asking the questions like, how does the father in that parable not behave like a typical pa- patriarch in first century Judaism? Yes. And that insight alone brings that parable to life. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So you could see where if you can just 
a little and, and even again some of this are are there's like a, a lower it's like a lighter level of this is in your bible like your study bible that's right and you know you can you can find some of this stuff through that as well as through some other resources online but you know there's just some of these good books that you can do to do a little bit of that research without spending four thousand dollars to go to turkey but <laughs> you know or you could go with us in the spring <laughs> yes and, and and be amazing amazing life-changing life-changing trip i highly recommend it okay so that's behind the text yeah. now let's move uh, to in front of the text, which is, again, we talked about is this, your social location, the fact yeah. that, that us here who live in Orange County, you know, are going to look at this differently than someone that lives in, um, South America yeah. somewhere, you know, that they are, or someone in an African nation and depending on even different le levels of socioeconomic, you know, yeah. levels or, gender or race and all these things can play right. into this. And it's really like, a, I think people at first sort of, you know, I, I have this, so I know that other people <laughs> have this, I think that are even more sort of conservative about this kind of mm -hmm. a thing. Just you immediately think, no, the Bible means what it means. And right. it does. We're not saying it, the Bible changes, right. but we all like come to the Bible with everything that we have experienced in our lives. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't make, there are some people who would say, well, there's just there's multiple meanings that you can pull out of this based on your social location. Right. I and I don't wanna I don't wanna give that impression that there's multiple meanings to a text. I do yeah. think that what we're aiming at when we read the text is we're aiming at the author's intended meaning. Yes. And that so we're not looking at multiple inter, multiple meanings. But a good way what we're looking at is multiple observations from the text. So yes. here's a, a good example of that. So Mark Allen Powell did this exercise about the parable of the prodigal son. And yeah. um, he did it in North America with his students in North America. He did it with some seminary students in St. Petersburg, Russia. Huh. And he did it with some students in Kenya when he was lecturing, guest lecturing. And he basically, he, he, read the, he had someone read the parable out loud. And then he asked the question, why does the young man end up in the pig pen wanting to eat the food of the pigs. Okay. That single question. Why why is he there? Why does he end up there? Okay. Now, so in North America, the the North American students predominantly answered because he squandered his money. Okay. He squandered his money. He had money and he squandered it. And that's there in the text. Yep. Now in St. Petersburg in in the former Soviet Union, um they there were people in that town that were alive when um, Hitler was um, basically laying siege to that city, cut off all the food supply, and there was a yeah. huge famine, and people were, there were issues about, you know, what about, um, you know, can you eat a human being? Like, I mean, it was wow. horrible. The famine was so bad. So in St. Petersburg, they said, well, why does the young man end up wanting to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs? They said, well, because there was a famine. Uh. There was a famine. And and it's not like that's, is, is that the right reason? Well, that's there in the text. It's not like it's not there. Yep. And then he asks the question of his students in Kenya. And they say, okay, why does the young man not, why, why does he end up in, in feeding pigs and wanting to eat their food? And they said, well, when you go to a foreign country, it's very easy to not know the value of things and to, and to use your money. And nobody showed him any hospitality. <laughs> yep. Like nobody took compassion on him or pity on him that he was new to the area 
and that he needed someone to help him to navigate this. Yeah. And that no one showed him hospitality. And that's there in the text too. Yeah. Yeah. And so you you end up like it's not that there's three different meanings of the text, but what people see is affected by their social location. Yep. And as much as I might say, look, this guy needed to take a Dave Ramsey class and he <laughs> needed to get, yeah, you know, get yeah. things straight. The truth is, like, there was a famine and no one showed him hospitality. Yep. And all of those things contribute to him being in the spot that he is. Yep. And so again, it's not a matter of which one's right, which one's wrong. These are all legitimate observations from the text that help us to understand and now help me as I come to the text to be aware of all these things. And now as I'm looking at the question, I have a much richer understanding of answering that question. Yeah, that's fascinating. Do you think it's possible for us to approach the text in an unbiased way? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I don't think, I mean, I think, (laughs) I think we can, or am I unbiased? I can try. I can try to be. I yep. can try to be as open-minded as I can. I do think that there are things that I am. Um, I don't think I'm locked out of understanding a text, uh-huh. but I do think that I am locked into seeing certain things in a text. That if I don't have someone outside of me to help me, that I might be locked into seeing making certain observations right. of a text. That if you only grow up at Calvary Church mm-hmm. and you only hear people from Calvary Church and you only go to you only encounter people. You don't even go across the street and talk to Doug Rumford over at the Presbyterian Church, or you don't talk. Yeah. You don't talk to other pastors. You don't. You don't or listen to some other sermons online or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Then I do think that there's going to be we're going to be a little hamstrung yep. of seeing the totality of the text. So again, I don't want to discourage anybody from looking at the text, but I do think that the idea of being unbiased can be. Well, it can be. It's attractive, but it's deceptive. Yeah. Do you think it's more, and I, I will confess, I think I have an opinion about this. Okay, but go for it. Yeah. <laughs> do you think it's more important to try and be unbiased or to just be aware of your mm. biases? I think the, I think the second of those, um, to be aware of your biases, because I think if you say, look, I am, I am unbiased, then you think I have found the, yeah. the truth, the one thing. <laughs> and I think... To basically just up front say, hey, this is where I'm coming from. Yep. This is what I see. I think this is a good way to do this. And we always, I think we always come with an, to interpretation with a sense of humility. Yes. I yeah. think that's a huge, I love how you started with that, approaching it with humility. I think if we're approaching with humility, we're not just saying like, I'm the end all be all, you know, right. I, I know everything that yeah. could ever be known about this text, yeah. you know, through my great study. But <clears throat> I think that it's interesting because I think as you look behind the text, you're really trying to find what, like, what, what were the sort of quote unquote biases of the, or, you know, the person in that day, yeah. right? And right. try and put yourself into their mind the best that you can, right? Which I kind of always thought was like the only way to do it, you know? And then, you know, and then it's like, okay, but I should be aware both of my own, the way I'm approaching it from what I've learned, but also the richness and beauty of learning from that Kenyan, yeah. you know, perspective yeah. as well as that you know, former Soviet Union perspective. Yeah. And to, like we all learned through them seeing the text in that light because it wasn't, yeah, like you said, it wasn't 
they didn't they weren't saying it meant something different but it just again it added a little more understanding yeah i think another fuller understanding another example of that so i was teaching the class that you had taken interpretive practices and i was teaching it up in pasadena and in the class was a um a Syrian Orthodox priest. Wow. Which is awesome. Yes. I mean, I, first of all, that's awesome. But Syria has been war-torn for yeah. years. Um, his family went to Lebanon, um, and he told a story. We were reading the book of Philemon. Okay. And he was so excited about the book of Philemon. And for me, I'm like, the book of Philemon is kind of a flyover book, right? <laughs> it's one chapter. I'm like, how did this even make it in? Right. right? But that's easy for a four-year-old <laughs> white guy from Orange County. <laughs> so so here he starts telling the story. Yep. He's like, I was like, why are you so excited about this story, this, this book? And he says, because Paul has to be a mediator for Onesimus, between mm-hmm. Philemon and Onesimus. And he goes, and in my culture, the church is oftentimes called on to be a mediator in mm. times of crisis. Wow. And he told a story about how his brother was killed. I mean, his brother was killed in this conflict, and the church sent out a priest to mediate <laughs> between his mother and he and the killer. Wow. And this mediator had to bridge this forgiveness. Wow. And now when I'm reading Philemon, I'm like, Paul is advocating between these two people who are both feeling the pressures of whatever cultural pressures they are about, what do I do with a runaway slave? What will the other people think if I don't do anything to him? And what is this Onesimus guy thinking as he's coming back? But Paul is standing in as a mediator, and it's a beautiful picture of how he's trying to navigate this this scene. And for this Syrian Orthodox priest, he's just so pumped up about it. Wow, yeah. And that's something I would have never, ever, an angle on the book that I don't think I would have ever appreciated yep. had I not been able to sit at a broadly set table right. with other people who love Jesus but might not worship and believe every doctrine that I do. Yep, that's interesting because that's so different even, because it's almost like you can step outside of your own experience to think of what an African-American person in the 21st century, like how they would respond to this text. That Not that we would completely understand it by any means, but just kind of, okay, that's maybe my first ability to understand someone having a different way of looking at this text or, right. or just how their perspective affects it. But then... I never would have even come close to thinking about a Syrian no. priest who has this experience That's of right. it being mediated. It's and I wild. think that one of the most, I mean, one of the researchers kind of, how do you know, how do you track emotional intelligence? Mm-hmm. And they talk about empathy Yes, is one of the key markers of emotional intelligence. Are you able to put yourself into the shoes of another person? Yeah, And I think that that's one thing that we, as we interpret Scripture— that sometimes we interpret scripture in a totally non-empathetic way. Like we yeah. just think, well, we know, I know, yeah. rather than saying, well, I, let me just hear this other voice. Doesn't mean I have to like let it totally in and change my life, but to be able to walk and to try to imagine being in someone else's shoes yeah, as good. I read this text is significant. That is, that's huge. So we have the text, <laughs> we have behind the text front of the text. Front of the text. I love that. I think if people can kind of just maybe even just think through every time you read the Bible, if you can just kind of pause for a second and think about what am I reading, you know, yeah. maybe what could be happening, you know, in its context, where am I coming from, you know, right. and, and what could even, maybe even just even a pause of like, 
where could other people be coming from as they look at this yeah. text? Just to be aware that it's like something other than yourself, right? Totally. I, I think a great example, and we're coming up on the Christmas season. Christmas is a great time where we realize that we come to texts that have history. Oh, man. And yeah. there's so much in front of the text and history of interpretation of these texts. But, ah, you know, how much How much of this do, you know, no one's ever going to turn away a nine-month pregnant woman. Right. Um, yes. There's no, there's no room in the inn. Right. So there's yeah. all kinds of... There are ways that we can open ourselves up to that. Yep. And it depends, as we come to our Bibles, we just take a humble position. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I broke hearts last Christmas here at Calvary while I uh, preached on no room in the inn and what an Eric inn it actually is. Christmas. Yes. Good job. <laughs> no, I, lo- I love Christmas, but I love the yep. Bible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love the Bible and we want to know what it means as best we can. Yeah. Uh, no matter what our tradition has told us, That's right. in, you know, in our culture. So awesome. Anything else you think that people should, uh, you know, need to know when they're approaching the scripture? Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, you know, what are, what's just a practical way? And again, I love the new American standard go Lockman foundation. Oh yeah. Um, but if you've been reading a certain translation for a long time, try yes. a new translation. Yes. Um, even if you don't like Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, like pick it up and see yep. if it has anything to say. I think a good new translation that I've appreciated is the um, the Common English Bible. Okay. It's a it's a it's a good translation. It makes some interpretive decisions, and you'll read it. You'll be like, oh wow, like it's not totally off the reservation, but there are some places <laughs> where you're like, hey, look at that. Yep. And. I think even just going multiple translations, those are that's a great way to just kind of enliven yes. um, your um, your Bible reading. Memorize a passage from another translation. Oh yeah. Um, do some things like that. Like I think those are those are things that whatever you can do to make it fresh, I think those are good things. Yeah, that's I think that's a great idea. I love mixing it up a little bit with especially even from my if I'm really digging in or if I'm doing more devotional reading. I've really enjoyed the NLT, the New Living Translation right. lately. Um, I think that's been great. Um, it's you know, I'm probably more using our NASB for when I'm yeah. studying and digging deep. Yeah. But like I really love that. And then as a kid that grew up with you know, I grew up in my youth groups and stuff like that with NIV, like, you know, when I was a, yeah. a kid. And so it's always like, it is important for me to try and look at the text in other, other ones. Cause that's sort of what I feel like I have it more memorized in. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I definitely, when I memorized a lot of scripture <laughs> as a, as growing up, then it was, it would come out NIV. Yes. So I think another way that I would encourage, like if you are looking for a kind of a fresh look, buy one of these new readers, no verse versions of, oh, yeah. of the Bible. I think that there's one of the first things I ask all of my students to do when we do a book study, whether it's Hebrews or Philippians, is I, I just send them a, a document, a word doc, with just the text of those books, no no, no verses, numbers, yeah. no paragraphs, and I just say you divide it up, you divide it into paragraphs. I love that. Yeah, it's it, it's a great exercise because the verse the verses are not original to the text, the chapters Correct. are not original, like the paragraph. The you know, indents are not original to the Hebrews, text. Like Hebrews 12, <laughs> 1 and 2 should not be the beginning of chapter 12. It's the end of chapter 11. It's the climax Isn't that of amazing? faith. Like know, all amazing. these people and they, they exhibit <clears throat> faith. But what's the climax of faith? It's Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Like 12, 2 ought to be the end of chapter 11. Wow. Anyway. So that's good. All of those things, like those chapter, Philippians is another one where the chapters don't necessarily begin and end where the thoughts begin. And end. Right. So, because there's these kind of hipster, like nice, like nicely bound yeah. books that just right. sort of read like a novel instead of, you know, instead of in your normal columned verses right. way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that idea. Yeah. All right. So, let's say that, that someone is 
wanting to get into a little bit more of the behind the text. Like yeah. how can they really read and have a better understanding? Because maybe they, they just can't always, you know, go to seminary or <laughs> have every text preached on or something like that. Right. But what are some maybe some resources they could use? Are there like books? There's like certain like study Bibles. What what could they use? Yeah, I think, you know, it Again, I don't want to. I don't want to discourage anybody. Like, if you don't have access to the Oxford Classical Dictionary, you can't read your Bible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do think that good study Bibles are, like, if you have a good study Bible, you probably have a good introductory access into behind the text kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's what a good study Bible, yeah. a background study Bible, or something like that. Um, I do think that um, you know, there's a couple of like I would recommend. Usually, what I'll recommend there are some really good introductions to kind of the Greco-Roman world. Like Moyer Hubbard wrote a really good one called Christianity in the Greco-Roman World. Yep. And that's kind of goes topic by topic and works through. He actually does a great job of kind of narrating a story and kind of incorporating some of the insights into that. Yeah. I've um, got that if any Calvary people want to borrow it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, there's also, you know, I just picked up a, um, it's a Jewish study Bible, Jewish New Testament. Okay. And so um, as you go, th- as you read through your New Testament, there are um, footnotes that kind of highlight um, Jewish backgrounds. And then at the end of it, what really is good is there's an appendix with a bunch of essays about Jewish backgrounds to the New Testament. Ah, interesting. And it's it's a nice one volume. You can read, obviously, along with your study Bible or as a companion. And those are those are just some great introductory stuff. Um, if you look on Amazon and you just type in, like, Bible backgrounds or Jewish backgrounds or um, Greco-Roman backgrounds. Those something something will pop up, and if you know a good pastor, you might be able to. Yeah, navigate love, that. I'd love to talk to you about those. I've got a bunch of those books, actually. I think I've yeah. got pretty much everything that Craig's talking about. So <laughs> that'd be that would be great. I'd love to walk you through some of that. So yeah, we can get some help in how to be able to uh, kind of get a better understanding of what's behind the text. Yeah, but like as you keep saying, it's I think the biggest thing is read your Bible. Probably yeah. the biggest hindrance to understanding your Bible is not reading your Bible, yeah. right? I, I think it's a great—to read your Bible and just to be encouraged to have questions about it. Yep. And, like, questions—not just—I I have a question, but, like, really hard questions. Mm-hmm. Like, things mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, I, I don't know if I can ask this at Bible study. Yeah. But these are good These are good things. It's always a good thing. Like, well, what did, you know, what did a an alabaster flask look like? Right. You know, and like, okay, well, yeah, let's talk about that. There's some there's some great resources and we can figure that out. So asking good questions is just just freeing yourself to ask all the questions you've ever wanted to ask about your Bible and being free to explore what yes, that means. Absolutely. I love that. Um and I, I think about like for people that just also are reading their Bible, like should probably think about prayer as part of this, right? Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit, right? The work of the Holy That's Spirit right. That's in right. kind of illuminating uh, the, the text yeah. to us. Yeah, I do think that there is a there is a danger, if there is a mistake or a danger, is just reading your Bible without thinking about the Holy Spirit, that there's not mm-hmm. something... Obviously, there's a lot of things we want to understand, but there's also... There are things that we want to feel mm-hmm. when we come to the text, too. Mm-hmm. And to say that... The, the biblical authors intend for feelings yeah. to come into play yep. when we're reading this. That that would be that's an accurate view of scripture. And so if I am just reading this for information, then I do have to check myself. Yeah. My unbiased self, right? <laughs> exactly. That that feelings are going to bias me. Well, what if the author is intending you to feel something? Mm-hmm. Well then we're uh, we're we need to find out what that is, and yep. we need to open ourselves up to the Spirit, and 
um, and be aware that. And I should say this too. I want to be. I want to be fair because, yes, the author's intended meaning is significant and a primary yeah. goal of reading the text. But I think we all know that there there are texts that have kind of lived beyond their in their original context hmm. and have come to kind of have a life of their own mm-hmm. and have in some ways served the church outside of their original context. Like uh, maybe Psalm 23 or what do you mean? Or like yeah, what, or well, what are you thinking about? So yeah, like Psalm 23, but even the idea of like, um, you know, in Isaiah, unto us a child is born. Oh yeah. Like Isaiah may or may not have been thinking about Jesus when he wrote that. <laughs> exactly. But it became important and a significant text for the earliest followers of Jesus as they were thinking about him. Yes. Um, and then even like, you know, Jeremiah 31, where I know the plan, or 29, I, then yeah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Yeah. Like Jeremiah was probably thinking about the nation of Israel before mm-hmm. Babylonian captivity and comforting them in that. But at the same time, that text has become really meaningful mm-hmm. to people in all walks of life. So and, you don't shame people for yeah, I, <laughs> for that text. <laughs> it's funny because... It's I, an easy one that people do, we, right? We mentioned that, and after class one time, this this girl came up and she said, um, she says, I have a tattoo of that text. That <laughs> <laughs> first. And so I'm like, good. I don't want to shame anybody. I mean, that text has meant something to you. Yep. And it's, it's important. Right. And so I don't want to poo-poo it because... Well, that's not the author's intended meaning, right? Right. Um, and because, just because the sorry, to interrupt, yeah. but just because it's the author's intended meaning that it's about Babylonian captivity right. for the people of Israel, it doesn't mean that God also cares about you right. and has plans for you, right? Right. And, and certain texts, like like I said, can come to have and carry a life of their own. Yes. Okay. They can have a significance beyond simply the author's intended meaning. Now, yeah. that's where that's where you're probably going to, like, people are listening to this and they're like, okay, now those are fighting words. Like, you know, and, it, and mm-hmm. I, I do think that we, in some ways, we need to just kind of, well, think of some examples of our own lives where texts have come to mean more than what they've meant in their original context. Yeah. Yeah. And just be honest, be intellectually honest that, no, it seems like some texts have become more significant to me. Yes. Um, that God, I've heard God's voice in that text. Yeah. Even beyond the, the the Bible still speaks. Yeah, absolutely. So like for me in my calling to ministry story, it was one of those I always say, I'm not I don't recommend this to people, <laughs> but I did. I mean, and I was 18 years old on yeah. the cliff of uh, of UCSB overlooking the ocean and I opened my Bible to Ezekiel 33. And I'm reading, and it says, you'll be a watchman for your people, mm. and you see the danger coming, and you sound the trumpet of warning. Mm. And if they, if you sound the trumpet of warning, and they don't respond, the blood's on their head. Mm. But if you see danger coming, and you don't sound that trumpet of warning, the blood's on yours. Mm. And that text was not written to an 18-year-old at UC Santa Barbara mm. thinking about what his life's supposed to be about, but God spoke to me very clearly through yeah. that text in that moment. And I kind of talk about fighting words if somebody wants to deny me of that you know (laughs) and it the fact that god would meet an 18 year old on the cliffs of santa barbara yeah well that sounds awesome yeah like that's i what with a text of like a (laughs) prophecy from ezekiel Ezekiel. right (laughs) um i think that those those kind of things like we have to treasure those Mm -hmm. treasure those encounters where there's something about not only did i understand this text but i met god in this text and that that I heard God's voice in this text. Like, I think those are important things. And 
it does get a little complicated, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. when we start talking about, I heard God and God told me. And I do think that there is a sense in which we, we as evangelicals, we spent a lot of time in seminary learning about how to interpret text, author's intended meaning, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that there is something about learning to hear God's voice hmm. um, that I think we need to be attentive to. And like for me, the best book um, possible about that is um, Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God. Yeah. One of the best, uh, and a challenging, a very challenging text. Yes. Um, but it is more about spirituality than it is about biblical interpretation. And totally. so, but those are muscles that we do need to, we also need to flex and we need to work out, not just our academic Greek, Hebrew, yeah, Bible exactly. backgrounds. Like we do need to, we need to understand that there's more to Christian spirituality than just the academic side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this, and I hope that this, you know, for people, this is helpful to be able to think a little bit more about how you're reading the scriptures, and you know, like if if you have some little bit of tools that can help you, I think that's really great for sure. And sometimes I just try to, you know, sometimes I'm digging deep into studying the scripture, whether I'm sermon planning or I'm just like really studying deep into a text because I'm wondering about something or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But sometimes I just want to, hey, I just want to casually just like read the Bible and relax. And, right. you know, maybe I'm reading, then I'm sort of intentionally reading in the Psalms or the Gospels or yeah. something just to kind of like let myself just have some time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I'm not having to like freak out over trying to figure out every little nuance of it. Yeah. You know? And so, I, I will be, I will, true confession, sometimes it is very difficult to unwind from a more academic approach to yeah. scripture yeah. and and just sit down in an unhurried, relaxed manner. Yeah. Just frankly, reading it devotionally. Like there yeah. is, there is a sense in which, um, and I don't, you know, I, 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 the Academy has been a place that has been incredibly nurturing to me spiritually, yeah. but at the same time, yeah, I, I need to pay attention that I'm able to read the Bible devotionally as well yeah, and, exactly. uh, and find, you know, not have to teach something from it. Right. Right. That I'm, I'm reading this because <laughs> exactly. I just want to have some time with the Lord. Yep. Yep. And, and that's, and there's a great place for all of those. Like those are yeah. both equally, you know, beneficial and so, well, for sure. Awesome. Craig, we uh, really appreciate you. I've appreciated you so much just over this last few years and uh, love just being able to talk about these sorts of issues. And so I think it's so great to finally have you on, on our podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It is a real joy and a, a pleasure to kind of watch you come into this position now and to see what you're doing here at Calvary and love Calvary. What a great tradition, great people, and just looking forward to seeing how you guys impact your community. Thanks so much. And same to you over at Taft. Thanks. All right. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Life podcast. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life.